Today's episode is brought to you by the Nuance Dragon Ambient Experience, or DAX for short. This is AI-powered ambient technology that helps physicians be more efficient and reduce clinical documentation burden. This is awesome technology. To learn more about how DAX Copilot can help reduce burnout and restore the joy of practicing medicine, ophthalmology, and other areas of medicine as well, visit nuance.com slash discover DAX. That's N-U-A-N-C-E dot com slash discover D-A-X. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Knock Knock I with Dr. Glockenflecken. I, that's me. I'm your host. Uh, I, the, the, this is the episode, the show every week where we talk about all things eyeballs. You ready to learn a little ophthalmology with me? I'm excited. Are you excited? This is what else would you want to do at the end of a day or in your car on your way to work or in the bathroom if you want? I don't know. Whatever your preference is for when you learn about eyeballs throughout the day. Uh, and I, I just, I'm excited to have you with me. Uh, we got a good topic today, a very popular topic, one that's been suggested to me numerous times. Uh, and, uh, and so we will get to that first though. I thought, uh, uh, you know, we've been doing this knock, knock eye series where I take a topic every week and we're now, this is episode 16, I believe. I think we're 16. That's, that's like, wait, one per week. What is that? Four months? That that's that's incredible. That's 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 odd. That's a lot of eyeball knowledge. So I'm gonna just do one a a one question test for all of you listening. Okay, it's it's very simple. All right, but you should know it by now because I just through osmosis, through just listening and learning, um, I I expect some things. Okay, we need to test your knowledge. So I want you wherever you are, whether you're in the car. Whether you're at home, at work, it doesn't matter. Wherever you are, right now, out loud, spell ophthalmology. No shame, no embarrassment. If someone asks why you're trying to spell ophthalmology out loud, tell them an ophthalmologist, an internet comedian ophthalmologist told you to. All right, did you get it right? Here we go. Here's the answer. O-P-H-T-H-A-L-M-O-L-O-G-Y. There you go. Ophthalmology. That's It's... It's, it's spelled like it sounds. It's easy, right? No, it's not. It's, it's one of the hardest words out there. Uh, but if you did spell it correctly, congratulations. You can spell that word better than 99% of physicians in medicine. Congratulations. All right. So that was fun. Um, all right. Let's see. What do we want to talk about here at the start? Oh, oh, I know what I wanted to say. Uh, before we get to our topic, uh, you know, I, I, I get a lot of questions. I don't read all the comments on social media. Uh, we, we put out a lot of content, the videos, the podcast episodes, the knock, knock eyes, all this stuff. So I, I can't, I can't, I just can't read all the comments, but I do catch a few every now and then. And, um, and one, one I get often is, uh, either, whether they're comments or actually mostly emails, I get a lot of emails or, or about this people wanting advice, like how to uh, develop their own following on social media, you know what's uh, any tips I should suggest, what 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 uh, platforms they should focus on, stuff like that. And you know, if I have time, I'm happy to like give a, like a few little pointers here and there. Please don't everybody email me asking for that kind of advice, says. Is I, I do get a lot of email, so I can't promise you I'll respond, but I do my best. I really do. Um, but uh, the 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 
the topic of like starting a social media platform as a healthcare professional, I, I, I really encourage anybody in healthcare to have a social media presence because especially if you're like, if you're not a, a, a person that promotes like pseudoscience, like I encourage all the reasonable evidence-based people out there to please give your knowledge to the world because we got a lot of stuff to refute People are using urine eye drops and tattooing their eyes out there. We need people who are willing to debunk this stuff. Um, that's a story for another day. But um, maybe I've already done that one. I don't know. I don't know. We can get to it later. So uh, what I usually, uh, what I'll tell people is, as far as starting uh, your, your, your social media presence is at some point you got to stop like thinking about it and you just, you got to jump in and do it. But it's easy to, to get discouraged right away uh, because you don't have a following. And so I thought I'd just tell you about like my, how I started Glockum Flecken, you know, uh, and, um, and, and I, I started from like nothing. I had no followers, zero followers. Uh, and so I started on Twitter, this is back in 2016. And um, I was actually, it was right before I went to a conference. There's this conference, it's called Arvo. All right, it's a vision research conference. Now, if you've been listening to me talk either at, at live events or on this podcast, you know I am not a research person. Me and research, oil and water. We don't, we don't get a, a, the IRB. My local IRB has a restraining order against me. I we do not mix. We don't have nothing to do with each other. Me and research. Yet somehow I found myself at a research conference. <laughs> a like hardcore vision research conference. You guys, this is like with, with words and these abstracts that you've never heard full of acronyms, full of enzymes and proteins and things. And it, it's, it's people get very excited. It's a huge conference, massive worldwide, but I was bored as hell. I was just like, I was doing some kind of poster. I don't even remember what it was. Whatever. It was a poster. I got a free trip. I went to, we went to Seattle. It was great. It was a fun trip. But uh, anyway, I was at this research conference. I just started this, this ophthalmology comedy uh, uh, um, social media account called Dr. Glockenflecken. And it, uh, it was as popular as it sounds right at the beginning. Yes, an ophthalmology comedy account. <laughs> and so I had maybe three followers total. And, uh, and I was telling a, a painfully specific ophthalmology jokes to those people. And I started doing it really at this conference because I didn't have anything else to do. It's like, okay, I'll just make jokes about the conference. And so, um, I actually brought up, I, I went back, uh, through Twitter and I uh, now X and I found, uh, my old tweets that I, that I put out there, I posted during that conference, um, hashtag Arvo 2016, if you're interested. Oh man. Okay. So, um, here's, here's, uh, probably the best one. Uh, here's, here we go. I'm just going to read, I'm going to read a couple of these. Uh, here, here we go. A Drusen researcher called another Drusen researcher, a pseudo Drusen researcher, hashtag Arvo fights. Hashtag Arvo 2016. If you're not laughing, that's the correct response. <laughs> because this is to show you, 
this is to, this is this is an exercise to illustrate to all of you who are trying to like build a following on social media uh, uh, that uh, we all start somewhere and sometimes we start from nothing and uh, and I and you get better at it the more you do it. You know how many how many likes that tweet got? Eight, and I was thrilled about those eight likes. All right, that was my, that was the highlight I think of the conference for me. Uh, let's see what else we got. Oh, this is uh, how about uh, nothing kills a good joke during a keynote in a packed house quite like an Amber Alert. I remember that we were actually there was like a, a two thousand people and a, an Amber Alert went off like in the middle of the keynote uh, to like a thousand phones. <laughs> it was it was something, everyone. Um, let's see. The speaker just forgot to sharply enunciate the T in retina. There was an audible gasp from the crowd. Hashtag Arvo 2016. I was just shit posting my way through this conference, you guys. So the point is, again, like, obviously, I've gotten a lot better. I realized very quickly that if I wanted to actually build a following, I had to expand my content to other areas of medicine, which is what I did. And now it's the Glockenflecken is what you got now with all these uh, crazy characters and stuff. So anyway, just jump in. That's my advice to you. Just choose a platform, choose something you like to spend time on if you want to build a following and just jump in. TikTok's a great one. You can build an audience very quickly there, um, probably faster than any other platform. YouTube is, it would be much slower. It's a lot harder to build a following on YouTube, but a lot of people go from TikTok to YouTube. And so TikTok's just, it's easy. It's accessible. It's, it's also very addictive. So be careful. Uh, okay. Well, anyway, that's, that's a little, um, that's a little intro. Let me take a break here and then we'll get to our topic of the day. All right. We are back and, um, we're going to be talking about, well, here, let's start with the patient presentation. It's a really quick one. 31 year old patient comes in with myopia interested in refractive surgery. All right. These are the consults that you get when you do a lot of refractive surgery. So obviously we are talking about LASIK or PRK, or any of the other refractive procedures, the common refractive procedures that are done out there. Uh, so um, refractive surgery has been around for a long time. I'm not going to go into the whole history of refractive surgery, but some of the stuff that used to be done was pretty barbaric. You know, people think that LASIK was the first thing. People, had, people were nearsighted or farsighted or had astigmatism or some combination of all of those things. They wanted to be independent of glasses or contacts. What are the options? What are the options? So years and years, we're talking like the 70s. We used to do this thing called radial keratotomy. Radial keratotomy. This involved taking a very sharp knife. And, and, and just warning to everybody who doesn't like hearing about like cutting into eyeballs because we're talking about that today. Radial keratotomy, otherwise known as RK, you can go and Google this stuff, involved taking a sharp knife and making cuts in like kind of like a pie shape around the cornea because the cornea is a perfect circle. It's a sphere, right? So you like almost like do like cut a, cut a you know pie pieces, pieces of pie, uh, radial cuts 
through the cornea, not all the way through, about 80% depth. So these deep cuts in the cornea, uh, you don't cut right in the center because that's obviously where the patient has to see through. But what it did was it effectively flattened the cornea, which is what you're trying to do for people who are nearsighted who are myopic, so people who are like minus two or minus four, or God forbid some of you are minus eight, nine, and 10, 11, 12, 13, I've seen up to minus 18. It happens. It's really hard for those people. But anyway, um, whenever you're that nearsighted, your your cornea, uh, everything is very steep or you have a little long eye, and what flattening the cornea does is it just it neutralizes some of that astigmatism. So you can take someone from like a minus six down to plano or zero or a minus 10 down to like a minus two. So flattening the cornea, that's your goal with any refractive surgery. Now there's different ways to do it. RK, what I just mentioned, that was a, a, a form that is not no longer done. Please, if someone tries to do RK to you in the year 2023, call the cops. That's not supposed to happen. I don't think it would ever happen now. Uh, and the reason it's so bad is because over time, what we found out, you know, 10, 20, 25, 30 years later, is that it destabilizes the cornea. Now, we talked about this a couple episodes ago with keratoconus, where if you have refractive surgery, it basically just, if you change the shape of the cornea too much, it can destabilize it. And you can get this weird lumpiness to the cornea that makes it to where you don't see very well. Well, that happens with RK patients. And we still see a lot of, we still see patients that come in with RK. You know, they had it 30 years ago and now they need cataract surgery. And it makes it, it's just a whole mess trying to figure out how to do cataract surgery in someone who's at RK. It's a, it's a, it's a problem. So there's a reason we don't do that surgery anymore. Now, LASIK, we are about, I would say probably the, the, the 90s. Maybe the late 80s was like was like the beginning of LASIK. That's when we started doing LASIK. Um, it has gotten better, but even patients that had it, you know, 20, 30 years ago, a lot of them are still doing great. So it's a much, much better procedure than RK, than the old type of refractive surgery. Uh, we we learned a lot, like like maybe don't slice into the cornea like 12 or 16 times trying to flatten it. Maybe that's a bad idea. And now it's, it's a more sophisticated procedure. So let's talk about LASIK first. I'm going to go into exactly what it is that you're doing with LASIK. And then I'll talk about some of the other types of refractive surgery uh, that can be done. So LASIK involves making a flap in the cornea. Now, I know that sounds terrible. And um, yeah, without anesthesia, it sure would be, but we it's under general it's not general anesthesia, it's topical anesthesia. So your eyes numb, you don't feel this, you don't even see it. Everybody is always worried about about eye surgery like am I going to see you coming at me with a big knife? Well, first of all, it's a little knife. It's a tiny one. But no, you're not going to. It's all happening way too close to you. Put your finger right in front of your eye. Like, you can't really make out details. You can't, like, make out your fingerprint whenever you're, it's that close, unless you're, like, a minus 20. Um, and so you, you can't, like, make out shapes and things and details of things happening that close to you. It just doesn't happen. During eye surgery, if you're awake, which people commonly are, you just see lights. You just see colors. It's a light, it's like a little psychedelic show. 
people who have, have uh, experience with psychedelics uh, do describe it that way. So anyway, LASIK involves making a little flap on the surface of the cornea and you kind of open up that flap, kind of like a can opener, like you open the top of the can, but it's still attached to the rest of the can. And then you use a, a special laser to ablate, ablate the underlying cornea. And what you're doing is basically you're using this fancy machine to remove corneal tissue, changing its shape and flattening the cornea if you're nearsighted. If you're farsighted, then you make a little cone, you steepen the cornea. All right, so it just, it changes the shape depending on what you're treating. If you're a minus six and you're trying to get to where you have perfect distance vision, then you wanna flatten the cornea. If you're a plus three and you're trying to get to perfect vision, then you're gonna steepen the cornea. I will say it's much, much, much more common, much more common for people who are nearsighted to get LASIK. And it probably, it actually works best for people who are nearsighted. People who are farsighted, it, it's a little bit tougher to like to get that perfect vision. It can be done. It can be done, but it's just not as not as common. All right. So that's and then what you do after you do the ablation, then you take that flap, which was just like hanging in the breeze for a while, and you just put that flap right back down on the eye. Voila. Then you put patients on some drops. And and the the reason people love LASIK so much is because you get the wow factor. Yeah, it's all about the wow factor. You go home, you come back the next day, boom, 2020, no glasses. Amazing. And we're talking people who are like minus eight. You know, you could barely see your hand in front of your face before surgery. All of a sudden you're walking around, no glasses. Wow, that sure was worth the 2000 bucks per eye. Yeah, it's a cool, it's a great procedure. It really is. So that's LASIK. Now, some people maybe don't qualify for LASIK. And there's reasons for that. If you are a little bit too nearsighted or your cornea is too thin, because remember, you have to remove corneal tissue. Well, if your cornea is already naturally kind of thin, well, there's only so much tissue you can remove before it gets a little dangerous, before you start running out of cornea tissue to remove. So if you have thinner corneas, because whenever you, you evaluate someone for refractive surgery, you're always measuring the cornea. So, but if the cornea is too thin um, or you know the, the, the more nearsighted you are, the more tissue has to be removed during the procedure. So if you're very nearsighted, like a minus 12 or something, chances are you're not going to qualify for LASIK. You may qualify for a different procedure called PRK. So PRK is photorefractive keratotomy. So photorefractive PRK, you are um, doing the same ablation procedure, but you're, no, you're not cutting a flap. So with LASIK, you make a flap. With PRK, there's no flap. Now the benefit of doing PRK is twofold, really. The first is, is when you have a flap, uh, then, uh, like you have with LASIK, there's the potential for more complications, right? You could have the, that flap could get dislodged. You could get an infection underneath the flap. You could get inflammation underneath the flap. You could get foreign bodies underneath the flap during the procedure. So there's all these, these flap problems that could arise when you have LASIK that you just won't have with PRK because you don't have a flap. 
So if you ask a lot of, of ophthalmologists who have had refractive surgery, I would guess the majority of them have had PRK because it's kind of like you're too close to it. You see all the complications. So even though LASIK is incredibly successful, very low chance of any complications, ophthalmologists just, we see all the complications. So we're a little bit biased in that way. And so um, just to be more risk averse, we would move towards something like PRK instead of LASIK, just because the safety profile is a little bit better for the non-flap option. They're both great. They're both great. And the downside, so you're, you're probably thinking like, okay, what's the downside of PRK? Why doesn't everybody do that? Because PRK is a little bit longer recovery. It can be a little bit more uncomfortable because you're, instead of making a flap, you're removing the surface layer of cells, basically creating a big corneal abrasion that you then do the ablation on. And so recovery takes about a week. It's a little bit more uncomfortable. You don't have that wow factor right away that you have with LASIK, but PRK, a little bit better safety profile. So risks and benefits to both. And any good refractive surgeon will give you those options. We'll talk with you through this because you're paying a lot of money for this. A lot of money. And also, if you have a place that offers you like 250 bucks per eye, yeah, I don't know about that. Like, I don't know. It seems like with with surgery, you might get a little bit what you pay for. I, I, there's like discount LASIK places you can find. Be wary of that. Uh, do your research on your doctor, on the place, and, and just due diligence. All right. There's a lot of wonderful LASIK surgeons out there. Uh, but, uh, you know, the discount LASIK stuff, the, 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 for me, that, that feels a little bit, I'm, I'm a little uneasy about that. Okay. So LASIK PRK, what if you're just way too nearsighted? Like it's just, you just, you got, you got the biggest eyeballs in the world. You're like a minus 12, minus 14, minus 15. You don't qualify for LASIK. You don't qualify for PRK. What can you do to get out of glasses? Well, there is something called an implantable columnar lens. Now we're talking about surgery inside the eye. So you're basically making a tiny incision on the eye and you're putting a lens that sits in front of your natural lens. And so now you have like two lenses in there. Um, I'd say this is a much less common because again, there's not like a ton of people out there that have really strong prescriptions that would qualify for that type of lens, that type of surgery, but it is an option for people who are very nearsighted. All right. They're called ICLs, implantable columnar lenses. I don't do those. I've never done one. I've done LASIK. I've done PRK. I've never done an, an ICL. Um, I know surgeons that do it and, and, and I've, you know, and they have, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's an FDA approved. It's a, it's a reasonable option for certain patients that just don't have any other option. Another one, and something that you've probably heard about on the radio, because there are certain companies out there that really push this hard refractive lens exchange. Uh, I have my own thoughts about a refractive lens exchange. I think I shared them when we talked about cataracts the other day, that was like maybe like a couple months ago. Uh, some people are a little bit predatory about pushing refractive lens exchange. I think refractive lens exchange can be a pretty good option for young people who are very nearsighted, who don't have any other option. You know, it's hard when you're like a minus 15 
uh, and maybe you know contacts are uh, you know expensive or they're you're, they just don't fit your eyes, uh, and glasses are almost impossible because you have to have very thick lenses and they have to be very small or else they have to be even thicker. And it's just it's just a, a, a very cumbersome thing to have be that nearsighted. And so you want to look for other options. And a good one is sometimes refractive lens exchange, where you take the natural lens out of the eye and you put a an artificial lens that can make it to where you see 2020 again. All right, so refractive lens exchange is a good option in very specific cases. All right, it's not for everyone, uh, regardless of what the, uh, the 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 radio ads tell you, which are clearly trying to target like people in their sixties or seventies. By the way, those of you who are the sixties and seventy, you got cataracts. Just do that. Insurance covers it. All right, you don't need refractive lens exchange. Do not get RLE if you're over sixty. I feel very comfortable saying that like across the board, don't do it because you have cataracts and insurance covers that. It's the same basic surgery. Okay, so those are your options. LASIK, PRK, implantable columnar lens, refractive lens exchange. Now there's other variations. There's things like SMILE, which is a, an S-M-I-L-E. It's a, it's a version of LASIK um, where you remove a piece of the cornea. So there's, there's other things that can be done, but I'd say those four, those are the big, the big ones. Um, all right. So now the question that a lot of you are probably asking, should I get LASIK? I get that question a lot. What do you think? Should I get LASIK? What do you, tell me what to do. Should I get it? All right. So I'm going to do this by age group. Okay. Now I've, I've done content like this before. If you've been following me and you're, if you are a, a religious Glockenfleck and follower, I've talked about this on my old website years ago. Um, I've done probably, I think I've done some uh, TikToks about this as well, but not in a while and not on this podcast. So um, should you get LASIK? Let's answer that question. All right. If you're 18 years old and you're like, oh, I'm graduating. I want a graduation gift, a really nice one, a really nice graduation gift. I want LASIK because I'm a minus four and I'm tired of classes and tired of contacts. I said classes. I meant glasses. Maybe you're tired of classes too. <laughs> uh, the answer is no. Do not get LASIK when you're 18. Do not get LASIK when you're 19. Do not get LASIK when you're 20. Do not get LASIK when you're 21. I would wait until you're at least 21, maybe even probably like 22, 23. The reason is because your eye is still changing when you're that young. When you're a teenager, in fact, uh, surgeons generally, they shouldn't offer it to you unless you're at least 21. Do not get refractive surgery. Do not get LASIK when you're 18. Uh, your eye is changing, and what you don't want is to have surgery, which has risk to it. Anytime you do surgery, there's risk. We talked about it with LASIK, with the flaps, and potential for infection, and other things. Um, uh, your eye is still changing, and so what you don't want is to have surgery and then have the surgery like not really be that effective a year later, and then you got to go back and get a, a get an enhancement. You got to get a second LASIK procedure, and that increases your risk for more complications. So just wait, just wait. All right, let's say you're in your 20s. Let's say you're 25. This is a great time to get LASIK. It's fantastic. All right, yeah, you're you're done. You're you're not only are your eyes fully developed, but your brain is fully developed. So you can make these types of decisions. Um, um, and, uh, so 20, 25, late twenties, great time to get LASIK, uh, in your thirties, also fantastic time to get LASIK. 
Um, the issue is, and it's kind of like, it's really unfortunate because, because whenever you're in your like mid twenties, like no, you don't have money to get LASIK. And then once you do have money to buy LASIK, uh, or any refractive surgery, uh, you, you're like getting too old, a little bit too old to get LASIK. Like if you're in like late thirties or in your forties, like now that's eh, you're get diminishing returns. Let me explain why that is. So let's say you're a minus six and you want to get out of glasses, you want to get out of contacts, and you're 31, like this patient that I just mentioned at the start. Um, I think it's a great option if you qualify. Obviously, you got to go through the evaluation to see if it's a good, if you're a good candidate for that. And there's a lot of things that go into that. You basically need just a full exam, make sure the eyes are totally healthy um, uh, for you before you have surgery. Um, the problem is if you get if you're 31 and you get LASIK and you get perfect vision, 2020. All right, for distance and for near, and you're 31 years old. Well, what's going to happen once you hit 40 or 42? Some people are more like 43, 44, but sometime in your early to mid 40s, you're going to you're going to start needing reading glasses. Yeah. So you're going to be back in glasses. So that's why I said diminishing returns. And the reason for that is it's called presbyopia. It hits us all. We all lose the ability to focus up close as we age. And so uh, once you hit 40, 42, somewhere around there, you start needing, you start losing the ability to focus your eyes up close and then you get, you have to wear reading glasses. So diminishing returns with LASIK. Yeah. You're 31. You get LASIK. You're great. Your distance is good. You have about 10 years before you're starting to need glasses for reading. Okay. So that's why I said, you know, 25, well, that's fantastic because now you got like 15 years, maybe you stretch it to 20. All right. If you're 22, oh, awesome. That's even more years that you can get glasses independence. So that's why it's, 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 it's a, it's an unfortunate situation because, because you don't have the money to pay for LASIK early in life when you, you get the most bang for your buck, if that makes sense. Now, maybe you have a rich family member who can pay for it for you. Like that would be great. That's a wonderful present to get someone who's nearsighted if they want to have surgery. Um, but, uh, um, again, 20s and 30s, that's your sweet spot. Mid to late 20s, sometime in your 30s, that's great. How about your 40s? Okay, so in your 40s, you can get LASIK, but I, I have seen patients that, that come to see me after getting LASIK and they're very upset because they didn't realize that as soon as they had LASIK to fix their nearsightedness, their nearsightedness, their near vision goes away and they immediately need reading glasses. That's a hard pill to swallow because I tell you what, people who are like a minus two, a minus three, you guys, you love reading without glasses. You take those glasses off, you put them on your forehead, you put them on the bed and you just sit there and you can read all day. Well, if you get LASIK to give you good distance vision and you're 40 years old, well, guess what? You are immediately going into reading glasses. So that's why I'm always cautious about people in their 40s or older who get refractive surgery because yeah, it's great to have that good distance vision, but at that age, you're sacrificing your reading vision. Unless you do one eye for distance, one eye for near. That's called monovision. Some people do that. Some people, it's it's actually, I think before I would ever do LASIK on someone in their 40s, I would absolutely trial them with monovision. One eye distance, one eye near, see if they tolerate it because that's a way to get out of glasses long-term. 
All right. It decreases your depth perception a bit, but some people tolerate it very well and they can have glasses independence in their 40s, which is not easy to do. Not easy to do. And you can do it permanently with LASIK, right? I just, just like anything, you just, just like any LASIK, you just make one eye set, set the target for distance and the other eye, you set it for being up close or just do LASIK on one eye because only one eye needs to be done because the other eye is near side, something like that. So that's your 40s. Your 50s, kind of a similar thing and now we're getting into the point where like you're getting close to cataract age 60s is when you get into cataracts uh and and you can do more with cataracts than you can with cataract surgery than you can with lasik than you can with refractive surgery uh and so um i actually start to uh, 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 try to dissuade people from getting LASIK once you get into your fifties. You've gotten you've gone all this way without you know for refractive surgery and and living your life. Chances are you're you're going to be okay until you get cataract surgery. All right, so now we're in your sixties. After sixty, do not do it. Don't don't bother with the refractive surgery again. Everybody over the age of sixty has cataracts. We can do more with cataract surgery than you can with LASIK or PRK, all right? So just hang on. Don't listen to the ads. Don't let someone talk you into refractive surgery at the age of 64, all right? You don't need it, all right? Same thing in your 70s, same thing in your 80s. If you're in your 90s, you know what? You're 90. Do whatever the hell you want. Uh, yeah, you want you want LASIK in your 90s? I don't know. I mean, there's, uh, you've, you've, you've outlived uh, you know, the vast majority of people on earth. You can do it. You're the boss. All right. Do whatever you want. You're 93. You want to have LASIK? Yeah. Okay. Sure. I don't know. I, I wouldn't do it, but, uh, you know, I mean, you, you've, you've done something right your whole life. Like why stop now? All right. Why, uh, what, who are we to tell you how to live your life? Mr. 93 year old. Anyway. So that's, that's the basic gist. I mean, I'm, I'm being facetious, like nobody in their nineties ever, ever gets LASIK, but anyway, all right, so that's, that is refractive surgery in a nutshell. Hopefully that helps you guys, uh, guide you, those of you who are thinking about refractive surgery. Uh, there's a lot to it. Make sure um, uh, you, know, you have a good talk with your, with your surgeon and um, uh, about the risks and benefits and the different options and whether or not your eyes qualify for the surgery. Okay, a few other things. How about an ophthalmology fun fact? I didn't do this last, last episode. You guys, last episode, it was late. I was recording that episode like one. I feel more refreshed now. It's only 10.30 p.m. right now where I where I am. Uh, I recorded last week's episode at like 1 a.m. I was dragging. I was lazy. I'm sorry about that. We did. We talked about diabetic retinopathy. I didn't do a fun fact. I didn't do a question and answer. I was. I, I, I mailed that episode in. I would like to apologize to you all. You deserve more out of me a comedian internet ophthalmologist, okay? So here we go, ophthalmology fun fact. Babies don't start producing tears, reflex tears, I should say, until about two weeks at the earliest. That's the earliest, really, a human being can start to produce reflex tears. That's from the lacrimal gland. Some babies, it's really more like, you know, four weeks or six weeks or something like that. So that's not right away. All right, so you know those babies are crying, but they're not producing tears. Well, their lacrimal glands just hasn't haven't kicked in yet. In fact, tearing, if you have tearing in a newborn, like within the first couple of weeks, that's actually potentially a bad sign. 
because um, uh, there's a very serious disease called congenital glaucoma. Um, and tearing is a sign of congenital glaucoma. It's not, not like a definite thing, but it's, it's something you have to be a little bit, you have to, you know, make sure you get that evaluated in like an, a newborn that's, that's tearing. Um, and so, uh, and pediatricians should know that certainly ophthalmologists know that. And the reason that, that that's a sign of congenital glaucoma, again, glaucoma is where high eye pressure in the eye is because, um, the thinking is that the, um, the eye, a, a baby with congenital glaucoma, uh, doesn't have, basically has like an immature ocular system just in general, everything's kind of immature. It's just not, it's not fully developed functional. So that's why they have glaucoma. Well, that also extends to the, the lacrimal, like the drainage system around the eye. It's all just very immature and underdeveloped. So the little bit of tears that newborns do make like basal tears, you know, not the big reflex tears. That's not made that we don't, they don't do that yet. The, the, like the little basal tears, like just the surface tears, uh, the, those little babies that with congenital glaucoma, they can't even handle the small amount of tears that newborns do make. And so the, and when I say handle it, handle it, that means they, they can't drain it. They don't have a drainage system that's functional. And so they end up tearing, ends up going down their face. And that's very unusual for a newborn. So anyway, think about that. Just, just that's, 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 that's like a one neuron arc for healthcare workers. Like you, like, you know, physicians, you just, you see a, like a one week old with tears, like running down their face, like one neuron arc congenital glaucoma, get them in to see an eye doctor. All right. You could save, um, a baby's vision. All right. And then, uh, lastly, before we go, and if oh, we're we're getting 37 minutes into this episode, all right, you're probably done with your commute by now. Question from the Glock Flock. Uh, this was someone on YouTube because I just uh, dropped the episode about color vision, um, and uh, the question is, why does Viagra cause blue tinted vision? I get that. I've gotten that question a number of times. What is it? Why is that? That's a symptom of of a, if you're if you're really pounding the viagra you can get a, a blue tinted vision and that's because um, your retina cells actually have some phosphodiesterase enzyme in there so the 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 the, the like viagra it inhibits the uh, the phosphodiesterase 5 that's, that's, that's like in, I don't know, in the blood vessels that in the penis, I, I, I don't, I don't know. I don't know. I different type of ball area. Like I, I am not, that's not my area of expertise. So I'm not going to try to explain the pathophysiology it has something to do with PDE five anyway, but you have PDE, you have phosphodiesterase in the retina cells as well. So if you take too much Viagra, if you take a lot of it, then you can get a little bit of inhibition of that same that enzyme that's in the retina, and it can uh, it can just alter your vision, your color perception because it makes like some some of the cones work, some of the rods work a little bit less than the others, and you get this color perception change. So anyway, that's that's why that's why. So it, and usually it's like if you're like really going after the Viagra real hard, so to speak it can that's when you can see that color vision and usually if you stop it then the color vision will return to normal all right hopefully like your penis does as well 
And if you have color vision that lasts, <laughs> changes that last longer than four hours, seek a doctor's opinion. I don't know. I've, I, that's, I've actually never seen a patient with the, the change um, in the vision. Anyway, just stop the Viagra if that happens. That's it. So thank you all for listening. We're your hosts. We're, we're your hosts. I'm so used to saying that when Kristen's with me. I am your host today, Will Flannery, also known as Dr. Glockenfleck. And special thanks to my producers, Aaron Corney, Rob Goldman, and Shanti Brooke. Editor and engineer is Jason Portizo. Our music is by Omer Benz V. Uh, Knock Knock High is a human content production. We'll see you next time. <laughs>